Um, I, the, I'm originally from Virginia, uh, spent most of my life in the South. For the past seven years, however, I was living in Boston, and uh, I came back to Virginia in March, and it's taken me quite a while to reclimatize to this weather. I became so used to the New England weather where it's actually really fall in Boston right now, where it's cold and people are wearing coats. So on Sundays like this, I'm reminded of my Southern heritage. I was raised in a very traditional Orthodox Southern church upbringing, and part of that upbringing uh, in the South, in many church traditions, especially when I was growing up, it was often the tradition for individual families in the church. Each Sunday, they would take a turn hosting the pastor or the minister for lunch that afternoon after church. Uh, one particularly extremely hot southern afternoon in a time even before air conditioning, and I actually remember not having air conditioning, uh, fell to one family in the church as their turn to host the pastor for lunch that afternoon and it was just a sweltering day no air movement you could see the heat moving it was so hot uh, the, uh, the wife the mother of the family was in the kitchen cooking um, no air conditioning finally the meal was on the table and the father looked to their young son who was sitting across from the pastor of the church and asked him would you ask the blessing on this meal well, the son was dumbfounded. Here sat the pastor. He didn't want to ask a blessing and embarrass himself. And he looked at his father and he says, Dad, I don't know what to say. And his father said, Son, it's all right. Just say something you've heard your mother say. So they bowed their heads. And the little boy said, Oh, God, why did we invite this man here on a hot day like today? <laughs> So I hope with that in mind, at the end of my remarks, that won't be what you're saying about me. Why did we invite this man here on a hot day like today? 1973 was a bit of an unusual year. In 1973, the uh, Dade County Board of Supervisors in Dade County, Florida, did something completely unusual, especially for 1973. They passed a non-discrimination ordinance for their city and county that included gay people. And that meant that for the first time <laughs> that people could remember or even were aware of, if you were an employee of the city or county of Dade County in Florida, you could work for the city openly, you could teach public school, you could enjoy the benefits the city offered their employees, and it passed unanimously by the Board of Supervisors for Dade County. Living in Dade County at that time was a woman named Anita Bryant. Now, Anita was uh, a bit of an unusual person for that time. Her only claim to fame prior to 1973 was that she had been a, previously been a beauty queen and she had been hired by the Florida Orange Juice Board to be their spokesperson. So she was regularly seen on TV in orange juice commercials, selling orange juice. In her private life, however, she held a faith tradition of being a fundamentalist Christian in all of that that it entails. And when this, uh, and she was a resident of Dade County, Florida. And Anita decided that when this ordinance passed unanimously by the Board of Supervisors, that it was her mission and calling 
to travel the country to preach against gay people and what had been done in Dade County and to have the ordinance overturned. And she traveled throughout the United States in auditoriums and uh, large events where she gave a very traditional type of evangelical service where there was a lot of singing and people clapping their hands and very emotional. And if you've seen the uh, video documentary for The Bible Tells Me So, which deals primarily with the story of Gene Robinson and his elevation to becoming the first openly gay bishop of the Episcopal Church, it also deals with other people coming from Gene's background, which was also a conservative Southern Christian background. At the very opening of that uh, video documentary, it actually opens with Anita Bryant, and she is seen sitting at a uh, press conference, and she makes the statement, last night at our crusade in Norfolk, Virginia, and that's as far as she gets, because out of the audience steps a, someone we find out later was a gay man, and he takes a cream pie and pushes it in Anita's face. And then the video goes on. Well, the reason I mention that is because when Anita says, at our crusade in Norfolk, Virginia last night, I was at that crusade in Norfolk, Virginia. I was sitting there in the audience of 17 plus thousand people as a very frightened 13-year-old. Frightened for several reasons, because number one, I knew in myself I was gay. In my tradition, you did not tell people you were. <laughs> At 13 years old, I was convinced I was probably the only person in existence because I knew no one else who was, let alone someone who was open. The church my family attended took approximately 50-plus people to that crusade that night. The Norfolk Scope holds 17,000, 1,100 in overflow capacity, and it was literally standing room only. People were sitting on the steps. All the open space was filled. And Anita went through the entire hour plus of denouncing gay people. You're, they're all going to hell. If we let them teach our children, they will convert them to be gay. Towards the end of her diatribe, a little group of about maybe a dozen people stood up to push back against Anita. It was the first time in my life I had ever seen any other gay people openly tell the world that they were gay. That little group of about 11 or 12 people were immediately ushered out. And when that occurred, the auditorium broke out in deafening ovation. Everyone else stood to their feet applauding. They were so happy that these little group of 11 people were being ushered out as Anita told the audience, don't be happy for them, don't applaud them, they're all going to hell. And I was 13 years old. And I decided at that moment, seeing the reaction of the 17 plus thousand people around me, there is no way that anyone will ever know that I'm gay. It so frightened me, I said, I will be the epitome of what it means to be a straight person. And for most of my life, I tried to do that. 
I always tell about not coming out until I was 37 years old. That's part of the reason why I didn't come out. I was so frightened because of that experience at 13 years old. And being raised in, as I mentioned, a very conservative, traditional Southern church atmosphere, where every message that I heard was the same one I heard that night in Anita's crusade. Gay people are abominations. They're all going to hell. Everything that's wrong with the world is because they exist. Hurricanes happen because of gay people. God judges the earth. And when I was, before I was 13, I didn't know who these gay people were, but I thought, my God, out there, they're frightening. And it wasn't until later, as I entered puberty, that I began to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And I thought, wait, they're talking about me. <laughs> I didn't know I was doing all of this. It's one of the two things I always knew about myself. From my earliest recollection, I always knew that I was gay. Now, I readily acknowledge I didn't have the maturity or the vocabulary to put words to knowing at five years old I was somehow different. It wasn't until years later in one of the first psychology classes I took in college when we were told that in most human beings, our sexuality is set by the time we're three years old. And I remember being four or five years old and somehow just an internal intuitiveness that I was somehow unexplainably different than the other boys I knew as friends. I wasn't sure why, didn't know how to explain it, didn't have a word to put to it, but I just somehow knew. The other thing I always knew in my faith tradition is that I had a call of God on my life. Well, I spent most of my life not only in fear, but in trying to find a way to put these two things which were seemingly at odd together. How could I have a call of God on my life if I was an abomination? How did I express it? How would I live it out? And I spent my life looking for an answer, too afraid to approach anybody to ask for help with this answer. And part of the reason why I came out when I was 37 is because that was the year I got my very first desktop computer. And that was when they were, uh, and during the dinosaur era, they had a dial-up modem. <laughs> you dialed into the internet, and if you were really fortunate, you got a connection, and it would last about 20 minutes before you got bumped off, and you had to do the whole process all over again. Well, one of the very first things I typed into the search engine when I got that computer were the words gay and Christian. And of course, 99% of what came up was what I had heard all of my life. You're an abomination, you're going to hell. But in amongst all of those many listings, there was one link to a site called Soul Force, S-O-U-L-F-O-R-C-E, run by a man named Mel White. And Mel's story was so much like my own that he had been raised in a tradition like mine, he had a faith tradition like mine, the thing that was astounding about Mel, in addition to him being married and having three sons, is he worked for Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and had all of his life. He, was their, he wrote their speeches and authored their books. He was their ghostwriter. And he had a very successful career doing it and made a great deal of money. And most of the books that you see that were authored by Jerry Falwell 
up until the mid-80s, the same with Pat Robertson. Mel White wrote those as a closeted gay man. Of course, when he decided he couldn't take any more and he came out to the world, he immediately lost his job. <laughs> he no longer worked for Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson, and he had to find other employment. And he, of course, he and his wife divorced and went their separate ways. But Mel's website so spoke to me because he had written a little booklet that he offered for free if you wanted it. It was titled, What the Bible Really Says and Doesn't Say About Homosexuality. And I wanted that book. I wanted it really bad. <laughs> and you, I ordered it, and it actually came in plain brown paper, as if I was ordering something naughty. And I went to my room, and I shut and locked my bedroom door, afraid somebody might come in and actually glance the title of this secret little book that I was reading. And for the first time in my life, the light bulb moment, as Oprah says, no one owns scripture. No one owns interpretation. All of the things I had heard all my life were one very narrow-held view. And there are literally volumes filling thousands of libraries all over the world where there are different interpretations and there are different views. And you don't have to live like this and you don't have to be oppressed because one group of people says one thing, it doesn't make it true. And I had never heard that message before in my life. I was dumbfounded. I thought, Mel, where have you been all my life? <laughs> this was the answer I had been searching for. I started the coming out process, and I call it a process because at 37, I very, still a great deal of fear, began coming out until I got to the point I had five gay friends, and I thought that meant that I was like just totally out because I knew five other gay people. But compared to my previous life, it was, and part of the reason for that was I was unaware at the time, Mel is an MCC minister, in the denomination I serve, uh, Metropolitan Community Church, and he had a link on his website. If you would like to find a church that believes the way that I have written on this website or in my book, put in your zip code and it would give you. And right there it was, 20 minutes from my home, New Life Metropolitan Community Church, Norfolk, Virginia. Had no idea they even existed, never heard of them. I told my five gay friends that I had found this church and they immediately, oh, don't go there. I said, why not? They said, they're nothing but a gay bar that meets on Sunday morning. It's just gay people playing at church. And I, so, again, back into fear mode. I thought, my gosh, I don't know if I want to go there or not. So I waited a whole year until I got up enough nerve to go. And I specifically chose the Sunday after Easter because traditionally in most churches, that is the smallest attendance is the Sunday after. <laughs> and showed up and everyone looked normal <laughs> but I was still afraid and I sat in the farthest row of the, of the sanctuary as I could get nearest the door because I thought if I got to, I'm out of here if anything happens I am out this door the service started I knew the hymns they were singing they were the hymns I had sung in church my whole life Everything about the service was normal, I thought. I don't get how this is different until it came time to pass the peace. 
And when it came time to pass the peace, for the very first time in my life, as people stood up to embrace and hug, I saw two women kiss and two men kiss, openly in public in church. And I was dumbfounded. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. But I continued to come back, and thankfully they helped me fulfill the rest of my calling towards ministry, and that's how I ended up in Boston, where I am today. So what then does it mean for someone to come out? Well, unfortunately, it's not like the perception that it's a great party, and for most people anyway. The misconception is you come out one time, and that is the furthest thing from the truth. Every day of your life with each person you encounter and every circumstance you deal with, you make the decision, am I going to come out? Am I going to reveal in this time, in this place, to this person that I am somehow different than they are? It's not something you necessarily look for. It's kind of forced on you most of the time. (laughs) You don't go out in the day thinking, I'm going to come out to somebody today. But in our society, heterosexuality is the default. So automatically, you're a heterosexual. And people treat you that way. And one of the first questions they ask when they meet you, are you married? Well, in some states, maybe. Not Virginia, but maybe some other states it might be. How do I answer this question and not reveal my true nature to them? How do I not come out and answer this question truthfully? There was a time in my life I thought, well, it's not that important. I don't know this person. I'll just lie and just say no. But I can't do that anymore because even just in saying no, I'm not married, it leaves an impression with them that's not true and accurate. They're left with the impression I'm a heterosexual person that's not married. Given who I am, it makes it even more complicated because the second question always, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a minister. Well, everyone automatically assumes they know what that means. They know what you believe, and they know what you stand for, and 99% of the time, I don't believe what you assume, and I don't stand for what you assume. (laughs) And then I have to come out all over again. You move into a new apartment, and you meet your neighbors, and you have to make the decision, am I coming out to these people? You get a new job. You have to answer the questions. You have to decide whether you're going to come out to the people you work with. And this is what your life is like. It's not coming out one time and one time only. It is a series of events where you're put in circumstances where you have to make these decisions. And you have to weigh the facts and what's going on around you. Is it safe for me to reveal to this person who I am? Is it all right? Will I lose my job because in Virginia there are no protections against me being fired because I'm gay? And in the law in Virginia, it's actually written that if my employer objects to me being gay, they have the legal right to fire me, and I have no recourse with the Virginia Employment Commission. So am I going to reveal to my employer that I'm gay? And how does this work when we have a party at work and we're told to bring our significant other or our plus one, who do I bring? Because do I take the chance of letting my boss know I'm gay and being fired? And is it also do I let my landlord know? Because in Virginia, 
My landlord has the legal right to kick me out of my apartment if he finds out I'm gay. And there are no housing protections for me. Do I take that chance of being homeless for standing up for who I am? So that's part of what it means to come out. It's not the will and grace party that people imagine it is. It's a series of making very difficult decisions when you make the choice to come out to someone. What does it mean for a community of faith to come out? Well, I am often consulted by other denominations, especially as times are changing very gratefully, that they become welcoming, open, affirming denominations. And they go through a process where a bishop gives them permission or their congregation votes or their board of elders or deacons votes and they hang a rainbow flag over the front door and to their surprise no gay people come to their church and they're well why why aren't they just flocking in here why aren't they just filling up our sanctuary we're wonderful people why aren't they here well i asked them a couple of questions number one are you aware that the greatest enemy in Western society to gay people has historically been the church? Usually they're not. But yeah, we're not like that. Have you entered into conversation and explained to these people who only see in your name is the word church how you are not like them? Have you explained to them when your congregation took a vote and you were really happy that the vote was 49-51, how the 49 people who didn't want me here are not going to take it out on me if I come to your church? What steps have you taken to ensure that I'm still going to be welcomed by the 49 who voted against me? Because some of those people left, and some of your congregation is mad that their friends left, and they're going to take it out on me because I'm here. So because you hung a flag over the front door and said you're welcome to come here, am I really welcome the second thing is I always ask does an individual see themselves excuse me, in the liturgy of the service a liturgy is just a very fancy theological term that means literally the work of the people and that's what you did today when you stand and sing and you put money in the offering all the things that you did that's liturgy so if a gay person comes into your church, do they see themselves in that? If your faith tradition is such that you're always referring to God as he and father, but yet the person who is gay, when they came out to their family, was literally kicked out of their house and lived on the streets by their father, are they going to be comfortable with you always referring to God as father? And most of the time they get a get the answer, well, I just don't understand that. <laughs> I know you don't because you haven't experienced it. Is all the language in your service very male-centric or is it neutral? During specific times of the year, are you holding special services acknowledging the gay members of your community? You have a Super Bowl party and the church sponsors it, but do you have a gay pride party for your gay members and ask them to bring their friends? Are you prepared for the face of your church makeup to change? Are you prepared for a same-gender couple to hold hands in church? 
are you prepared for the same gender male couple who wants to be the Sunday school teachers with your children? And a lot of churches go, no, we hadn't thought about that. No, we're not. (laughs) We're not comfortable. Well, then why are you asking me why gay people aren't coming to your church? One of the things that I push back against, and it sounds real nice to say, and it's very popular to say, I'm just like everybody else except for who I love. And it sounds good to say, but I hope I've demonstrated that's not accurate. (laughs) I'm not like everybody else except for who I love. My circumstances are different. My life is different whether I choose it to be or not. Our culture defines how my life is going to be different. Our society and government make that decision for me. The other thing you have to consider is if you come out as a straight advocate for gay people. When it's Thanksgiving or Christmas and you're meeting with your family around the dining room table and they're making very horrible remarks about gay people, are you going to be the one that speaks up as a straight ally and take the wrath of your family? (laughs) Are you going to be the one at work when all of the people you work with are constantly saying, oh, that's so gay? Are you going to be the one who speaks up and says, maybe you ought to think about why it's maybe not best to say that? And are you going to take it when people start going, even though it's not true, well, if he stands up for gay people, he's got to be himself. Because if you're a straight person and you want to become our ally, that's part of what you will face. You will go through what we go through. So I leave all of that with you today. I hope that I've given you something to think about. I hope that I have somehow inspired you. I don't know you well enough to... I hope I don't leave you with the impression I'm pointing fingers and saying, you're just horrible people. That's not, I don't know you well enough to. <laughs> I speak from my own experience and share my story. If in some way that somehow helps your congregation or helps questions that you've had as a community of faith, then be blessed with those words. Thank you. Blessed be.